Happy Sabbath, everyone. I like the acoustics of this place. <laughs> to hear you folks sing with such passion and power from up here, wow, that was incredible. And the dynamics of this room just add to that. Well, it was a good thing I wasn't here when Paul introduced me because I have no idea what he said about me. But uh, I do want to throw out a little caveat, a warning, a disclaimer, so to speak, before I begin. And that's typically when I do a presentation or a sermon, I will, and provide a scriptural reference, I will typically, usually repeat the scriptural reference two or three times. However, with respect to our time constraints, and due to the brevity of time allotted versus the 30 or 40 texts that we'll be covering this morning, I will not be able to repeat the references multiple times. And therefore, I urge you to find a writing utensil, something to write upon, uh, use your neighbor's hand if necessary, uh, and write ferociously. But friends, I ask that you not only write, go home and read them and see for yourselves. Also, I understand I'm being recorded, uh, so if you want, I, I'm assuming you could obtain an audio copy afterwards and leisurely listen to it at home, pause it whenever you need to. Having said that, before we get into the message proper, I would like to entreat the throne of God once more. Our Father in heaven, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. May the Holy Spirit bless us with his intelligence, his wisdom, for we want to be more like Jesus. Father, reveal Jesus Christ to us, for we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today, as we become better acquainted with the Creator, we will seek to answer the question, why did Jehovah create? However, in order to properly answer this, we need to take in perspective the significance of names and titles. Now, I'm certain everyone here has a name, yes? But does everybody here have a title? Well, the, the fact is we all do. Allow me to demonstrate. How many of you do not know who I am? Raise your hands. Okay, keep them up. If you do not know who I am, raise your hands. That's fine. Keep your hands up. For those of you with your hands still up, how many of you know either my sister Sue or my adopted sister Melody? Keep your hands up. Okay, just to be clear, what I'm trying to say is, if you do not know who I am, but you do know my sister Sue or my sister Melody, keep your hands up. Okay? All right, a few of you. What this means is, you know me by my title, which is Sue's brother or Melody's brother. Do you understand? Now, let me ask you this. Have you ever referred to somebody by their titles? Now, all of you have parents, right? 
and you call your female parent mom, and you call your male parent dad. But interestingly enough, you later learn that mom and dad actually have names. Now, I know some of you in the Western American culture actually refer to your parents by their names. But <laughs> for the most part, we refer to them by their titles, did we not? Well, put it, why is this important? Well, let me tell you this. A person's title defines that person's relationship to you. A person's name defines the person. Said it in a different way, titles tell others what you are, names tell others who you are. Now, both names and titles are very important in defining or identifying a person. However, names are more specific, they're more definitive, they're more descriptive. Now, don't get me wrong, titles are important, right? I mean, in fact, probably the most coveted title in America, maybe in the whole world, is the title President of the United States, right? But imagine with me for a moment that you somehow were at Copenhagen this last December, and you were able to secure yourself that little orange uh, name tag, and you were able to meet with all the other, actually it was pink, and you were able to meet with all the other pink badge holders, and you entered into the room where they're having their meeting, and you cried out, Mr. President! What would happen? Well, there are over 130 heads of states there, including our own president. So which one would look at you? Yeah. Well, see, this is the, the problem with just titles. Titles are important for defining roles and relationship. However, it's the name that provides definition and identity. There's a story that took place in Korea just a couple of years ago. It was in the newspaper. It was pretty sad, actually. There was a two-year-old who decided to walk outside when his parents decided to have their last and final fight. And while this kid was wandering outside, getting lost, the mother packed her bags and left. She thought oh, the father will take care of the boy. The father thought, oh, the mother's going to take the boy with her. Eleven years passed by for their divorce to finally convene at court. And it wasn't until then that they realized neither of them had the child. Through various ways and means, they were able to locate this boy in an orphanage. In the orphanage, they changed his last name to Sa because they didn't know that his last name was Lee. Now, it's a sad story, but think about it. It illustrates something for us. If you know your title, and this boy had a title, right? What was it? Son. Exactly right. Or another one would be orphan, right? That was his title. Was that enough for him to know his identity? No. He had to know his name to understand his identity. You could go one step further. You could say, if you don't know your parents, you don't know your identity. And the Bible tells us Seth was the son of Adam, was the son of God. So, 
why are we talking about titles and names? How is this relevant in our discussion about the Creator? Well, when we are asked the question, do you believe in God, most of us would, nearly all of us here, would answer in the affirmative. But have you ever thought that the person asking you the question might be referring to a God different from your own? I mean, imagine if it was a Hindu who was asking you this question. His word, God, could be referring to Krishna, Rama, Shiva, Kali, or any of the number of avatars that represent the supreme Bhagavan. What if that person was Baha'i or Sheikh? Her God would be different from your God, and I know this because I've dated both. <laughs> Friends, we live in a time and age when we cannot simply answer yes to the question, do you believe in God? We need to specify which God we believe in. So, friends, do you believe in God? Why are you laughing? Do you believe in God? Which God do you believe in? Okay, I hear Creator, I hear Jesus. Can we all say we believe in the God of the Bible? All right, that's great. Let's turn in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. The Bible on the very onset tells us about this God. And in Genesis 1, verse 1, it, we can answer a few questions. That's good to hear all those Bibles turning. Seventh-day Adventists, have you been practicing throughout the week? Today you're going to get a real workout, all right? Let me ans ask you some questions you can answer. Genesis 1, what? When? In the beginning, who did what? This makes him creator. What did he create? Wow, you're very good. Incidentally, have you ever thought, why in the world did Moses write these words to begin with? I mean, obviously the Holy Spirit impressed him to do it, right? But think about it. What is the purpose for the reason that we have this book in front of us? Why do we have a Bible in the first place? Isn't it to tell us about Jesus Christ and His power to save us? I mean, John goes through this in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. He tells us, now J Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. He also goes on, just in case you lost the point in his gospel, he says in his epistle, First uh, John 5, 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And Jesus Himself, as recorded in John chapter 39, says, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. But these are they which bear witness about me. In other words, the Bible sets forth that the Bible was written with Christ in the context of salvation. So then wouldn't it make sense to start out this grand book, this book of salvation with the words, I am your Savior who will deliver you from sin, right? But instead... The Holy Spirit inspires Moses to write about the what? The creation story. 
Long ago in Korea, there was this poor man who lived next door to a very wealthy, uh, rich neighbor. And due to the difference in socioeconomic status, he never associated with his rich neighbor. But from time to time from his house, he could see over there and notice that these gangsters, these mobsters, these hoodlums would come over and visit this rich man. And every time they would leave, the rich man was just shaking in his boots and quivering, and the hoodlums were carrying away bags of the man's possession. What were they doing to him? They were extorting him, right? Well, <clears throat> this poor man decided, you know what, I need to really help my brother out. And so he went over there, and he was invited in for some tea. And over some tea, they were talking and getting to know each other. And after visiting for a while, he then asked the rich man about these unwelcome visits by the hoodlums. Well, the rich man then shared his sorrows to his newfound friend. And after politely listening for a while, the poor man said to the rich man, Sir, I'm a ninth-degree black belt in Taekwondo, a ninth-degree black belt in Hapkido, and I also have a fifth-degree black belt in Gumdo. Now, these are all names of uh, Korean martial arts. Why do you suppose he said these things? Was he bragging? No, he wasn't bragging. He was letting his neighbor know that he was more than capable of protecting him, right? So, if this is the case, take a look at the Bible. Genesis was written by Moses around 1500 B.C. This is millenniums after sin. And so you had this whole world filled with people who needed salvation, and yet God tells Moses to write the book of salvation and start it by telling the creation story. What God is declaring is, I am the creator who made something out of nothing which is why I can take the nothingness of your life and save you and make something out of it. Now do you understand why the creation story is there on the onset? Well, going back to Genesis 1-1, we see that God made everything in the beginning. In other words, this God is a what kind of a God? A creator God, that's right. But isn't the word creator just another title? Well, if we look at the original language here and we look up the word God, in the Hebrew, you will find that it's the word, does anyone know? Elohim. Elohim, that's right. But I want you to notice these interesting passages with me. Turn with me to Leviticus chapter 19, verse 4. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 4. Wow, you got two references from me. Leviticus chapter 19, verse 4, it says, Do not turn to idols, nor make for yourselves molded gods. I am the Lord your God. Now, what kind of gods should you not make? Molded or molten gods, right? Don't make any idols for you, because I am the Lord your God. Did you know that if you look up the Hebrew here, the word gods... And the word God are both from the same Hebrew word Elohim. 
So in other words, you could read it, do not turn to idols nor make for yourselves molded Elohim. I am the Lord, your Elohim. In 1 Kings chapter 18, we have the story of Elijah on Mount Carmel. And while there, he's challenging uh, the concept, the notion of the Israelites' God. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 24. It says there, and again, I'm just going to insert the Hebrew where the Hebrew is needed. It says, Then you shall call on the name of your Elohim, and I will call on the name of the Lord. And the Elohim who answers by fire, he is Elohim. So all the people answered and said, It is well spoken. What was the name of the people's Elohim? Baal, right? They were calling on the name of Baal. So Baal was their Elohim. But Elijah refers to Baal as Elohim, but he also refers to someone else as Elohim. Who is it? Lord. Look at that word Lord. You notice anything unusual about it? Yeah, it's in all caps. Like Pharaoh said in Exodus 5-2, who is the Lord that I should obey him? Who is this Lord? Does anyone know why everything is in capital letters? Do, do you know why that it's all in caps? L-O-R-D, all caps. Okay, it's translating the Hebrew word, actually probably more accurately, the Hebrew letters, Yahweh. It's Y-H-W-H, okay, otherwise referred to as the tetragrammaton. How many are familiar with that term? Okay, some of you. I was hoping more of you would be because then I could have skipped this, but it's all right. The Masoretes were the ones who invented uh, vowels for the Hebrew language, and they actually came into being a few centuries after Christ died and rose again and went back to heaven. So, they would use marginal notes extensively when they felt that something should be read differently than the way that it was originally recorded, but they would not change the original text. That was one of their principles. So when they came across the name Yahweh or the letters that's been translated into our English Y-H-W-H, they would note note that this word, you shouldn't say it because it's a holy name. And a Jewish person would dare not to profane the name of God. And so what the Masoretes did was they took the vowels from another Hebrew word, Adonai, and they inserted in there in the consonants of Y-H-W-H, which is why today we pronounce this word Yahweh, and this is probably very close to how the ancients pronounced that word as well. But Every initiated Jew, when they would come across this passage in the Old Testament, and they would see the Y-H-W-H and then the vowels of the Adonai in there, they wouldn't read it Yahweh, they would read it Adonai, and Adonai means Lord. So, in essence, you had two words in the Hebrew that would be both read aloud this exact same way. Adonai, in its original form with its consonants and vowels, and Yahweh with the Y-H-W-H, but with the vowels of Adonai. 
Well, during the Reformation, the, the principle, this principle wasn't understood by the Christians. And so when they started to translate the Hebrew Bible and they came across Yahweh with the little vowel sounds, they just transliterated that into their language. And so that is why today we say Yahweh because that's exactly how the Masoretes wrote the Tetragrammaton. But because the Tetragrammaton was pronounced Adonai by the Jew, the word is Lord, this is why now in the King James and the RSV, we have Lord for both Yahweh and Lord for Adonai. But there's a difference. One is Yahweh, the name of God. The other one is simply a title, Lord. How do they differentiate the two? This is why you have capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Anytime you see just a capital L with lowercase o-r-d, this is referring to Adonai. But whenever you see the word Lord in all capital letters, or even the word God in all capital letters, this is translating the original Hebrew Yahweh. And it's significant because, um, actually, I found one, one translation, uh, the ASV, that renders Yahweh, Jehovah, in, in, in the English. This is significant because the name of God is Yahweh or Jehovah. Now, just as much as I would prefer to be known as Jed as opposed to Sue's or Melody's brother, I think God would prefer that we know Him by His name, not just by His title. You see, if you look and look in uh, Exodus chapter 6, verse 3, you will know that this tetragrammaton or the word Jehovah or Yahweh is indeed, in, is indeed God's name. Exodus 6, verse 3, and it says, and I'm reading here from the ASV, And I appeared unto Abraham, unto Isaac, and unto Jacob as God Almighty, or El Shaddai. But my name, Jehovah, I was not known to them. In fact, in your King James, it says Jehovah, yes? Yeah, in all capital, that's right. Uh, Incidentally, this is one of seven times you will actually find the word Jehovah spelled out in the King James. Every other time, it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Now, I just want to go on record, though, and state emphatically that I am not one of those restored name fanatics, okay? Um, But like I said, I would rather be known as Jed than by my title. And that is why I think it's very important as believers in the Jehovah, we know what His name is. But more than that, we should also know what it means. So just to summarize real quick, Genesis 1 introduces us to the Creator Elohim, or the Elohim who is Creator. And in Genesis 2, we learn that this Elohim or this God, His name is Jehovah. In fact, the word Jehovah in the Old Testament, is found over 6,500 times. Whereas the word Elohim, or God, is only found 2,600 times. Typically, we don't use the name Jehovah when we're referring to God, but when you consider the fact that the Bible uses the term Jehovah about two and a half times more than the word Elohim or God, this should indicate how important 
the name Jehovah is. God himself said to Moses, my name is Jehovah. Well, this tetragrammaton actually comes from a shorter word, and this is where we can learn what Jehovah actually means. In fact, actually, does anyone know what Jehovah means? Well, it's pretty silent. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. The tetragrammaton, the YHWH, comes from a shorter root, and you can find it in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. And in there it says, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he, say, and he said, say to the people of Israel, I am, or Hayah, has sent me to you. Hayah, or I am, is a primitive Hebrew word that means exist or be. Therefore, by extension, Yahweh means self-existent one. Are we clear so far? You and I, we cannot exist in of ourselves, right? We have nothing in us that gives us life or sustains us, which is why, incidentally, this is why you eat, drink, you know that? And breathe. Did you know that? It's trying to teach you with every breath you take, with every morsel of food you eat, and with every drink you drink, that your life has to come from outside of you. And the sustainer and the provider of that life is none other than Jehovah God. And Jehovah God is the only being who does not require an external source of power or life. Why? Because He is life itself. Now, let's talk a little bit about the fact that Jehovah is Elohim. Remember? Genesis 1, Elohim is the creator. Genesis 2, the name of Elohim is Jehovah. Well, did you know that Elohim, when we saw some examples here a little bit earlier, the Elohim, that word has been translated into God, or at times it has been translated into gods. The reason for this is, in the same sense in the English, our word children, children is a what? plural word. Very much like children refers to more than one child, the Hebrew word Elohim refers to more than one person or entity. Did you know that? In fact, the second fundamental belief of the Seventh-day Adventist church states, Trinity, there is one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and what? A unity of three co-eternal, what? Persons. Look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 with me. It says, and God said, let me make man in my image, right? No, it doesn't. It says, and God said, let us make man in our image. This verse teaches us that the plurality of God decided to make man in the image or the plural image of God. How many entities and persons are we talking about here, though? Go back or go forward to Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. 
It says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, how many persons are we talking about here? Three. Well, if that's the case, then it appears Matthew made a grammatical error, right? Because he says, baptize them in the how many name? Wait, we just said there was three. Is that grammatically correct or not? It's incorrect, right? Grammatically. But it is correct biblically. Why? Could it be that there really is only one name for Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Could it be that this name is, in fact, Jehovah? And if it's true that the Father's name is Jehovah, the Son's name is Jehovah, and the Holy Spirit's name is Jehovah, then all three persons or entities have one name. And what is that one name? Jehovah. So, could it be that the concept of the Trinity, or Godhead, means three persons with one name. All three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are referred to as the I am that I am. All three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are self-existent, independently, equally, and individually self-existent. And yet, it says in Deuteronomy 6.4, the Lord is one. And incidentally, if we translate that properly, we would say what? Jehovah is one. Actually, you can turn there. Deuteronomy 6.4, it says, Hear, O Israel, Jehovah our God, Jehovah is one. This oneness refers to their self-existent characteristic. When you look there in Deuteronomy 6.4 and you look at the word one, the word one comes from the Hebrew echad. This word is a numeral and is derived from the concept of unifying or unity. Thus, echad is properly translated united or one. This is telling us there's more than one who have come together as one. Jehovah is one. And we need to read this very carefully because, friends, it states that the Lord or Jehovah is one. Notice it does not say God is one. It says Jehovah is one. This is emphasizing that the characteristic of the Godhead is singular. And what is that characteristic? It is the characteristic of being self-existent, to be able to exist without an outside source of life. Look at Zechariah 14.9. Zechariah 14.9, I'll be again reading from the ASV. It reads, And Jehovah shall be king over all the earth. In that day shall Jehovah be one, His name one. The word one here is also from the Hebrew echad. So what this is saying, what this is corroborating is the fact that 
in this universe, the only self-existent beings are Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is why in Isaiah 44, verse 24, it tells us, Thus saith Jehovah, thy Redeemer, and he that formed thee from the womb. I am Jehovah that maketh all things, that stretcheth forth the heavens alone, that spreadeth abroad the earth. And then some translations will add this phrase in there. Who is with me? God is declaring, who was with me when I stretched forth the heavens? Who was with me when I created everything? What he is saying is, Jehovah alone created all things. There was no one else who created except for Jehovah. Only Jehovah creates. So, according to Isaiah 44 verse 24, whoever was present at the time of creation, were you there? Was even Adam there? No. Whoever was present at the time of creation, that by de facto, by default, makes that person Jehovah. So who was present at the time of creation? Look at me, look with me in John chapter 1, verse 3. Most of us know this by heart, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What? And then going down to verse 3, all things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And we jump down to verse 14, it tells us, and the Word was made flesh, and He dwelt among us, right? Who is this Word? Jesus Christ. So who was involved in creation? Jesus Christ. Psalms 104, verse, verse 30, it says, When you send forth your spirit, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. They are created when who is sent forth? The spirit. Who is this referring to? The Holy Spirit. Who was involved in creation? The Holy Spirit. In Job 33, verse 4, it tells us, The Spirit of God has made me. Again, the Holy Spirit, right? And then it says, and the breath of the Almighty, or the Shaddai, gives me life. Who is the Almighty? The Father. Friends, Scripture points to three beings who were involved in the creation of all things. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And according to Isaiah 44, verse 24, this means that whoever was present at creation by default, their name is Jehovah. There are other places in Scripture where it reveals that the Creator is pluralistic, more than one. One of my favorite is uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 1. And most of us probably memorize this when we were growing up, but it says, Remember also in your Creator in the days of your youth. Did you know that the word Creator here is actually a participle of the same verb that's used in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created. Here in Ecclesiastes 12.1, the word creator is a participle of that same verb. But you know, interestingly enough, the participle is rendered in the Hebrew boreka, which is, interestingly enough, a plural rendition. So quite literally, what we should be reading here in Ecclesiastes 12.1 is, remember also your creators. 
But when the translators came across this, they said, uh-uh, there's something wrong here. This isn't the only place. You can find evidences of this in Job 35, verse 10, uh, Isaiah 54, verse 5, Psalms 149, verse 2. It talks about how God is my maker, and the word maker there is actually a verb that is reserved for the plural usage. Isaiah 44, 24, we were looking at it. The question, the interrogative at the, at the very end, who is with me? I know that's not in the King James, but it is found in some manuscripts. This question tells us that the only one who created at the beginning was Jehovah. And based upon the other texts that we just looked at, we realize that the only beings who can create are Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This follows that because Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were all part of the creation process, and because the only ones who can create are named Jehovah, this tells us that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all are called Jehovah. Are you following me so far? So if that's the case, shouldn't the Bible reveal the names of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as Jehovah? Yeah? Would you like to see that? All right. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 6. Deuteronomy 32, verse 6, it says, and I will be substituting the word Jehovah wherever you see the word Lord in all capital letters, okay? Do you thus repay Jehovah, you foolish and senseless people? Is he, Jehovah, is he not your father who created you and made you and established you? It's referring to Jehovah as your, as your father. Turn with me to Psalms chapter 24, verse 8. You do see how the Father's name is Jehovah there, right? Melody told me that uh, I might be trying to uh, compact way too much information in the short time, and I, I don't know if that's the case right now, but you were a little bit more responsive in the beginning. But it's all right. We're almost done. Psalms chapter 24, verse 8. It says, Who is this King of glory? Jehovah, strong and mighty. Jehovah, mighty in battle. Friends, who is this King of glory? I know, I know it says Jehovah, okay? But who is it, literally? Is it Jesus? How do you know? Look at Matthew 25, verse 31. Jesus speaking him here himself, Matthew 25, verse 31, he says, When the Son of Man, who's the Son of Man? Jesus Christ, comes in his glory and all the angels with him, and he will sit on his glorious throne. Friends, who sits on a glorious throne? What kind of a king? If you have a glorious throne, the person who sits on it is a glorious king. In other words, it is the king of glory, right? So, who is this king of glory? According to Matthew 25, 31, the Son of Man or Jesus Christ. So, going back to Psalms 24, verse 8, who is this king of glory? Jesus. Jehovah. Jehovah, strong and mighty. Jehovah, mighty in battle. So, 
The Bible reveals that Jesus' name is also Jehovah. Interestingly enough, in Isaiah it says, And his name shall be Wonderful Counselor. What? Huh? Almighty God. And what's the next one? Wait, I thought Jesus was a son. But you're calling him Everlasting Father. Do you see? So how, can you see how this name can be applicable to all three? Okay, let's look at for the Holy Spirit. Oh, I love this one here. Hosea chapter 6, verse 3. It says, let us know, let us pursue the knowledge of whom? Jehovah. All right, we need to pursue the knowledge of Jehovah. His going forth is established as the morning. He will come to us like the rain. Like the what kind of rains, folks? The latter and former rains. According to Joel chapter 2, verse 23, and Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, was there a former rain? Okay. Who rained down like tongues of fire? The Holy Spirit. So who is the former rain? The Holy Spirit. Who is the latter rain? Hosea 6, 3 says, the latter and former rain is whom? Jehovah. Huh. The Bible reveals that all three persons of the Godhead is Jehovah. They all have one name, Jehovah. They are the only ones with this name, Jehovah. This is why they are the one and only Jehovah. In that context, we can understand Deuteronomy 6.4, which said, Jehovah, our God, Jehovah is one. So on the onset, I said that we'd have to become better acquainted with the Creator. We'd have to understand names and titles before we could answer why Jehovah created. Well, we've seen the significance of names and titles. We've learned that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all titled God, but more importantly, all three are named Jehovah. And Jehovah means self-existent one. So then why did God create? Why did Jehovah create? Well, we can use a song that we probably all know. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. He that loveth not, knoweth not God, for God is The fact that the essence of God is love proves the plurality of God. Think about it. Can love exist with only one being? No. Love is only evident when you have more than one. If you are alone, no matter how much love you have, can it be expressed? No. The essence of the Godhead is love, which proves that love was in existence when God existed. Does that make sense? In other words, because God existed in the triune form, this is why their essence is love. This is proof that the Godhead is more than one. In other words, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the triune Godhead, not only did they dwell in unity and in love with each other, Jehovah, referring to all three, 
full of life and love, got together and decided to make you and me so that we could dwell in unity and in love with them. In short, they created us so that they could love us and we could love them. This is why Elohim said in Genesis 1.26, let us make man in our image. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he them, him. Male and female created he them. In, a, in, in one word, the image of God is love. This is why Jehovah God said in Genesis 2.18, it is not good for man to be alone. This is why only after both man and woman were created, only then in Genesis 1.31 did God say, everything he saw, behold, it was very good. God made man and woman that to, so that together they could bear God's pluralistic image. Two entities, yet they become one. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, yet they are one. But friends, you and I, we've fallen away from that divine image. This is why God presents that creation story from the onset to prove, to prove that the Jehovah God who self-exists, who created all things, can and will recreate and restore Jehovah's image in you and me. When this happens, we will no longer be like that orphan boy who had only a title but no identity. In fact, 1 John 3, 1 and 2, it says, Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us, that we should be called the sons or children of God. Is that your title today? Are you sons and daughters of the Almighty Jehovah? That's your title. But in fact, that's not all. In short, in a short while, we'll be given a new name. You know that? Revelation 2.17. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches to. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on that stone. And then he goes on in Revelation chapter 3, verse 12, our final text. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out from it, and I will write on him the name of my God, name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem. And then at the very end of that verse, it says, I will write on him my what? My own name. God not only wants you to have the title children of God, but he wants you to have his own name. How many of us not only want the title that God bestows upon us, but also this new name. Will you this morning acknowledge Jehovah as your creator? If you want to do that, then I invite you to kneel where you're at with me before our maker as we close.
Father God, Abba Father, oh, what a privilege it is for us to be able to call you Father. In Malachi, you told us that the final day work would be turning the hearts of the Father to the children and turning the hearts of the children to the Father. So, Father, I ask that you pour out the Holy Spirit, Jehovah, upon us. May He actuate our thoughts, our minds, our desires, so that we will have our hearts turned back to Father Jehovah. And we know at this time that our older brother, Jesus Jehovah, is in the most holy place on our behalf. And for this ministry, we're grateful. Father, help us to claim what He's done for us. May His righteousness be imputed upon us. For we long for the day when we will not only have the title, children of God, but we will be able to bear Your name on us. Bless us to that end, we pray in Jehovah's mighty name.